0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different. And uh, we're the number one dialogue podcast. And we're for people who value real, different conversations. Conversations about how to design a legendary business and a legendary life. And by definition, we're very different from a traditional interview show. Uh, What you're about to hear is a real conversation. And I believe real conversations can make a giant difference. Today, we continue our run of legendary best-selling authors with Mira Lee Patel. She's an author and an artist, and she's got a brand new book out called Create Your Own Calm, a journal for quieting anxiety. And we have a powerful conversation about, you guessed it, how to deal with anxiety, why Mira thinks the more you run away from something, the more it follows you. You'll also probably enjoy Mira's thoughts on self-acceptance, why journaling is a powerful conversation with yourself, and I'd urge you to pay close attention to Mira's ideas around the only way out is through. Go to Lockhead.com and check out the show notes for this episode. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. We're brought to you by our good friends at Oracle NetSuite, the world's number one cloud ERP system. Visit netsuite.com slash different. Splunk is the leader in data to everything. Visit com slash D, the number two, the letter E, and don't forget Splunk's conference is coming up soon, splunk.com. And we uh, record this podcast on squadcast.fm. So if you want to be a serious podcaster, check out squadcast.fm. And I also want to remind you that I am proud to be doing a new podcast series with Naveen Chada from Mayfield. Check out Conscious VC wherever you get legendary podcasts. Now, hey-ho, let's go. So, Mira, I have um, a thousand questions for you, but I'm curious, what's on your mind?
1: Oh, boy. Um, I've got a lot of things on my mind at the moment, mostly dealing with the feeling of overwhelm. And Mm. I've been, I mean, this is a lifelong process, but I'm really, really struggling this year to stay in the present. And I'm not necessarily living in the future. I'm not, you know, oh, I can't wait for this year to be over. I'm not in the past, but I'm not here.
0: Hmm. Where are you, Mira?
1: I feel like I'm floating a little bit in the ether, just feeling ungrounded. And I'm in a place of wanting, but the wants that I have aren't able to materialize right now. So I'm in an in-between, kind of a liminal space, a place of transition. And I think that I'm working on being okay with being in transition instead of already being at the place of arrival.
0: So one of the things I've wondered is, is this time that we're all in together as a country and frankly as a world, are we in a cocoon time that is to say, there's life before, let's just call it March, February, March. And there's whatever we're doing now. And there's whatever it will be when, I don't even know what to call it, when things yeah. settle a little, if they're going to settle. I don't right. know. Maybe you'll tell me. But it, it feels like we are in this cocoon that, and I don't want to sound overly West Coasty here on you, but like collectively, we're in a time of transition.
1: Mm hmm. I agree.
0: Is that how it feels to you?
1: It does. I don't feel uh, especially unique with uh, my emotions and my feelings right now. I do think that most people are in a similar place. I think that we're all kind of going through this um, in between time together. So, you know, it's not special, but it is very... Palpable, and I am very aware of the place that we're in.
0: And um, how does it affect your life?
1: I feel unable to act sometimes, to take action. Mm. And that's on several different levels personal, emotional, pr- professional. I feel like I can't take the actions or make the changes that I want to make. And some of them, are true. You know, some, some of the limitations that I face, that we're all facing, travel, leaving our homes, things like that, they're real. And some of them, especially the emotional and mental ones, like in most cases, you know, even if we weren't in this time, they're, they're not real. They're self-implemented and I'm working on undoing them.
0: I know that you're, or it seems that you're thinking and, and working a lot on um, anxiety slash calm, if calm is the opposite of anxiety, although maybe you'll tell me how you think about it. And so does it feel like an anxious time to you?
1: Collectively, for you know the world, for our country, it feels like an extremely anxious time. For me personally, it does feel anxious, but I think my anxiety is changing shape. I have a lot of anxiety and my anxiety expresses itself very frenetically. Uh, It feels like noise. It feels like a mind that can't be quiet. And it feels like a constant, what do I do? How do I fix this? How do I get away from here? And right now it has almost like a heavy blanketing feeling to it. It's a weight. Um, which is different mm. from how I've experienced anxiety in the past. So that is also something that I'm learning to identify and figure out how to work through. When you know, when your own anxiety or depression or any obstacle changes shape for you, how do you how do you begin to understand it and move through it? So, I kind of feel like I'm going through that right
0: now. And the um, sort of tough guy in me, and I got a lot of tough guy in me, says, you know, Mira, what are you talking about? Just suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Why? And I don't mean that negatively. I I, I hope I have empathy for you, how you feel. But I'm curious why this uh, um, sensation, this experience you're having right now, isn't something you can just suck it up, buttercup, power Mm -hmm. through and get to the other side. Why why is it different than that?
1: I like that question, especially because I have a lot of tough guy in me. So I am of the suck it up buttercup uh, type. That is how I approach life. Um, That is how I approach a lot of my relationships. And that is how I approach my relationship with myself. So I would say that my approach is not the opposite of suck it up but that maybe it just looks differently than what most people think you know sucking it up looks like i i think it's important to feel the feels to understand why they're happening to to look at them to pull them a little bit closer understand them and work through them i think that is far more healthy and productive and useful than simply ignoring or pushing aside or, you know, forgetting about what's happening to you. And so often when people say like, you know, you need to just suck it up, you need to move on, don't dwell on this, Um, what they're doing is ignoring what's happening to them. And when you do that, it's just going to keep coming back. That That state that you're in will keep visiting you over and over again. And so what I'm trying to do is actually work through it so I could actually move past it and leave it behind and not have it be a place that I keep coming back to.
0: That's very powerful. You remind me of something I heard when I was a very young man, probably around 18 or so. And the expression I heard back then was, what we resist persists.
1: Absolutely. I think that's very true. The more We push things away, the more power they have over us. I've experienced that a lot in my life. The more I run away, the more something follows me. And so learning to stop and actually look at something head on, straight in the face, and even pull it a bit closer um, is a practice that I've been engaging in for several years now. And something that just teaches me more and more each time I practice it.
0: Did you say at the beginning of that mirror, I want to make sure I heard you properly? um uh, the more I won't run away, the more something follows me. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, and that you know that applies to everything from an emotion to a relationship dynamic to an issue that i I seem to find myself you know facing over and over again. It's with everything. The more you run away, the more you ignore the more. You know, you're going to be absolutely suffocated by this thing that you're trying to get away from.
0: I also am curious because when I look at you from the outside, of course, we're just getting to know each other. You seem like a very uh, not only successful person, but productive person. You've written 10,000 books or something like that. Uh, you've got all this wonderful stuff for sale on Etsy. You're putting out all this wonderful stuff on your Instagram. And, and you seem like one of these sort of, I don't know how to describe you, n- emerging, feel-goody, new-agey type. <laughs> I don't know what the thought leader, I don't know what to call you. I, I, I hate the word influencer. I think influencers are assholes, but that's just me. I don't view you that way. But you, <laughs> you I guess my point is, You see, see, we can talk about that if you like, but you seem like a very productive person who is sort of uh, effective because otherwise you wouldn't have all the accolades and you certainly wouldn't be creating all this wonderful stuff that you're creating in your new book and all that. And so I guess that leads me to a question, Mira, which is how is it at least on the outside, you look very productive and successful, um, but you're describing a situation to me that uh doesn't sound like um a, a person who's able to get a whole lot of stuff done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so another great question. What does somebody who gets a lot done look like? What do they sound like?
0: That's a great question, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, is there what I want to ask you, who do you envision that person to be? When you think about someone who's successful. And productive, and writes books, and puts, um, encourages people to be better, and puts that work out into the world. What are they supposed to look like and sound like to you?
0: Well, first of all, I'd say that I don't necessarily have a preconceived notion. It's it's really what works for others. So you know, there are thinkers and entrepreneurs and innovators and artists and creators of all kinds who um, do incredible work from a place of feeling anxious or broken or angry or, or, or emotions other than sweetness, happiness, satisfaction, right. and light when they sit down. Um, so I know, I know that to be the case. And of course, there are probably more um, broken hearted love songs than there are happy love songs. And so pain of one sort or another can, can be the source of tremendous uh, creative inspiration, of course. So I, I, I get all of that. I think for me to do the kind of work that I do, um, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm working on my third book, and I'm working on a new uh, online guide, and um, those things are have been stuck for quite some time now um, because of the situation I'm I'm in in my life. We've undergone a tremendous amount of uh, pain and grief over the last eleven months, and so I I can't sit down and and effectively write a book when I'm dealing with sort of the level of pain and suffering and anger that I've been dealing with and that has been surrounding me. It's not to say I'm not productive, and it's not to say I haven't done creative things. I have uh, some some big ones. But I guess with writing in particular, for me, like I, I have a, a very hard time getting uh, either the new book or the new online guide done because I just... My ability to sit there and focus and write isn't there because I'm, I'm pulled by these other things. Whereas talking, you know, we recently in my marketing podcast did 30 episodes in 30 days. And that was in the middle of a tremendous amount of pain and suffering, but somehow was able to get it done. So I guess different things are different for different people. But at least for me, as it relates to writing and books and the creative kinds of, you know, all all of the illustrations and all your work is a very bright, has a very bright feel to it um, for me. And so I'm curious how you do that in in when you're experiencing the world the way you seem to be experiencing it.
1: I think that I do. I will say that people are often surprised when they meet me. And that is not because I'm the opposite of my work, but because there are so many sides to me that aren't visible through Instagram or through reading a book or through looking at my artwork. You know, because me, like you and everybody else, I'm totally multifaceted. Um, I hold a lot of different worlds and philosophies inside me. And none of them are more important than the other, but some of them are more visible than the others. And I think my work, my artwork especially, which tends to be very vibrant um, and ethereal, expresses a side of me that would be unseen otherwise. That that is simply the form it takes. It comes out in my painting. Um, this very upbeat kind of beautiful, peaceful, watercolory, those aspects of my personality and my being come out in my work. And in my words, when I have a conversation with you or when I write, I feel like the very thoughtful, contemplative experiences, all emotions and thinks all emotions are valuable side of me comes out. And so I guess I would just say that I express myself in different ways and different parts of my personality in different ways. And like you, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, churning out books at the height of my despair. You know, all the work that you've seen me produce and people have seen, they have all happened over a long amount of time. So yes, I I do consider myself to be extremely productive. I find that The work that I make is really satiating in a way that Mm. a lot of other things in my life are not. I am lucky to finally have reached a place where I get to write and draw for a living. It took me a very long time to get here. And so that is something that I don't take for granted. I'm very productive because... I love what I do. I love working. I love making things. It's how I connect to people. It's how people see me. And so there's no, it's not a consequence, you know? And it's not something that I have to do. It's something I want to do. And I'm so aware of how lucky I am because for, you know, most of my life I wasn't in this position. So it's just something that I approach with a lot of gratitude and a lot of, you know, excitement and I want to do more and I want to make more and I want to be more and I want to learn more. So that is, you know, something that despite whatever emotional state I'm in, that's always there. And the frustrating part for me, which I don't, I want to know, you know, when you're, you're going through these hard months this year and you're unable to write, does that frustrate you? Does it make you sad? Or are you? do you just feel, you know, that's not what's in me right now? Because I get very frustrated when I can't channel um, an emotional state into creativity. It upsets me. I feel like I should be able to do that. And very often I can't. And I wonder what that's like for you.
0: It's a great question. I think it is frustrating, but I my sense is it might be a different frustration from the one you might be e- expressing. It's an inability to concentrate by myself. Mm. That's, a, that's a very specific problem. So I can interact with you. I can get on the phone with my co-authors and work something out together. But sitting there alone writing, concentration by myself is almost impossible and has been for the better part of a year.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: And so as an extrovert or somebody who's more extroverted than introverted, it's sort of like having a writer's block for a year Mm -hmm. um, because of an inability to concentrate. The remedy for it for me is a conversation conversation. The challenge is in the state I'm in, my energy level's about maybe a quarter of normal. And so I'm exhausted a lot of the time. So I feel, you know, I have streaks of productivity, um, but generally I feel unproductive. And part of me cares, but a lot of me doesn't give a fuck either, you know, yeah. Yeah. because uh, I'm learning to deal with a new reality in my life and in the lives of many of the people that I love. Um, and so we're just dealing with that reality, right If you know what I mean.
1: Do you feel that conversations with people, do you feel um, that somebody else has the ability to pull creatively out of you something that you can't evoke on your own?
0: Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And I'm always I've, I've naturally always been a, a more of a collaborator than a solo artist anyway. Oh, um, and certainly way more of a talker than a writer. I'm dyslexic. So whatever writing skill I have has been uh, hard earned, if I could put yeah. it that way. It's, it's powerful to collaborate with people. And when you're, when you're um, dealing with a very long walk through fire, it can be a, a, a welcome distraction from that walk.
1: Absolutely. Have you felt anything changing this year, recently?
0: Well, my my entire life is different. I'm a different person.
1: Are you still in that place where you don't feel like you can be by yourself and be productive?
0: Um, yeah, and I think I probably will be for a very long time. I mean, I can be productive a little, mm-hmm. but um, I can't carve out two hours to do what I would historically do, which is put on headphones and sit with my computer and just write. I there's sure. that's that hasn't happened in almost a year, and it. Yeah. it, it I can't imagine that it'll happen in the foreseeable future. Um, Sure. What's happened in in my life in the last year or so is uh, pain, anger, and grief is a person in my life. And sometimes that person is standing behind me. Sometimes that person is sitting next to me. And sometimes that person grabs me by the throat. But that person is always there. Um, Mm -hmm. And that wasn't true in my life a year ago. Um, And what I've realized, Mira, is that I sort of subconsciously thought, oh, well, when such and such happens, we'll sort of, things will start feeling better. Uh, And I realized that's not gonna, that's not gonna be true for some very meaningful amount of time. So I've sort of given up any expectation around that and accepted this person into my life. And now, as Viktor Frankl taught us, we have to be worthy of our suffering. And so I'm trying to, um, as as insane as it sounds, uh, welcome this person. as as he sits next to me all the time
1: (laughs) well i mean i i think that's unbelievable and i love victor frankl's emphasis on finding meaning in suffering um and you know what it what it can do for you and how to have hope and how to have pride in what you're able to overcome and do you find that do you find that you're able to find any meaning in this period of your life
0: yes a tremendous amount of meaning
1: that's incredible
0: what i don't have though is hope in terms of hope that i will feel better or more way more importantly that the things that have happened over the last year in my life that that the others who have been uh, massively damaged by these things their pain and suffering weighs on me uh, like nothing has before in my life Sure. So I don't, have, I don't have hope that that's going to stop. I know I will wake up into that tomorrow morning. I know when I wake up tomorrow morning, I don't want to wake up or get out of bed. And, and that's going to be true for some very meaningful amount of time. And so there's no amount of like, oh, yes, well, you know, when such and such happens, when such and such milestone, ha-, all mm-hmm. that sort of out the window. Mm-hmm. And I've learned some things, you know, there's some things that I thought were true that I don't think are true anymore. And some of them are hard to deal with.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you believe that things will be different one day?
0: I think they'll be different, but I don't know um, what that different will be. Um, sure.
1: But they will change, certainly.
0: Yes. I always, yes.
1: I, I find oh, that is something that gives me hope. Just knowing that things are always changing. And that they will be different, maybe better, maybe worse, but they will always change. And so the place I'm in now won't be the place that I'm in forever.
0: And so with this work that you're putting out in the world at this moment in time, what is the contribution, Mira, that you're hoping to make? You know, particularly with your new book, with everything you're doing.
1: Um, With the new book, um, which is called Create Your Own Calm, I'm really hoping that people will come To a place of self acceptance. And that is something that we touched on, you know, a couple minutes ago when I said that running away from anything, a person, an emotion, a situation, you know, usually doesn't serve us well. And that is what I come back to with self acceptance, which is that we are taught to be fearless. Um, and to be level-headed and be grounded and get the thing done, but we are not taught how to do that. And a lot of times our culture tells us to just shut down and turn things off. And what that prevents us from doing is coming to a place of acceptance. And I have really I have found in my own life that a lack of self-acceptance, can be a huge generator of anxiety when we run away from ourselves, when we refuse to see ourselves, when we ask ourselves to change for the wrong reasons, usually to please an external source. Those are all facilitators for more anxiety, and often, uh, you know, can lead to depression. And they're also creators of these big pockets of disconnect where we can feel disconnected from ourselves from meaningful relationships from meaningful work and so with this journal I'm really hoping that people are able to look at themselves and accept who and where they are and if they would like to move past a certain thing or be in a different place or start something new, they will, um, the exercises in the book will help them figure out a path of doing so.
0: Now, this may be a silly question, but uh, clearly you're an advocate of journaling, yes? Yes. And so, um, why do you think journaling is important or powerful?
1: I think journaling is another way of seeing yourself. So, it's I approach it the same way as, you know, having a conversation with you where I already feel like I'm learning things definitely about you, but also about myself through our conversation. When you tell me how you approach something or how you're dealing with something, it automatically makes me think about, well, how would I deal with that situation? How do I feel about that? How am I approaching that? Um, you know, what What are my judgments about this person or, um, what they're going through. And so journaling is having a conversation with yourself. And I think that most people, uh, don't want to have a conversation with themselves. I think it feels extremely uncomfortable. Um, if it's not something that you engage in regularly and I think you, uh, it can be very vulnerable and vulnerability, you know, we talk about it a lot. It feels like in the last couple of years, but vulnerability feels really gross sometimes, you know, it feels like you just want to take a shower immediately. And so that is not, you know, a feeling that people want to step into voluntarily. And I really, really encourage people to spend more time with themselves um, with with their own heads and their hearts and get to know themselves because it's only by having, by developing a strong internal compass um, that we're able to make decisions and take action and create our behavior to build a life ultimately that looks like the one we actually want. And when you when you don't know yourself and when you haven't taken the time to listen to yourself, all of your decisions and opinions and thoughts and the way you operate are solely formed by external influences. And so I I think a lot of people walk around in their own bodies but as you know not as themselves they're walking around as somebody else and i don't i don't want that for anybody i want them to be who they are and i want them to appreciate themselves and like themselves and yes change the things about yourself that you don't like or that you wish were different but don't just be who somebody else thinks he should be and i think when we have that kind of um disconnect from ourselves i think it is a huge invitation for anxiety which then begins to breed
0: and Mm.
1: you know really spins out of control
0: it's such a powerful insight you have Mira. i think about how in life at various points we all whether we realize it or not wear a label or a sticker that somebody else put on us. Oh, you're, you're smart or you're good at math or you're a good athlete or you're pretty or you're ugly or you're fat or you're skinny or whatever. And of course, as children, when somebody says that to us, we kind of wear it like the truth or we certainly can. Um, And then the other one that I think that we wear easily without a lot of thought is, it's a primordial need we all have to be accepted, right? Because the person who's outside the crowd is the first one that gets eaten by the bear. And so being there's, there's strength and comfort in togetherness. And so when we agree with a a group of people about something, it creates identity, it creates, it creates security and so forth. And so, you know, for example, in this political season in the United States, um, politics has become the nfl right you have a team and you root for that team and your parents love that team and your family roots for that it doesn't matter what shitty shit that team does or what great shit that team does that's your team right? right and so whether it's a label somebody else stuck on you or whether it's about something that got fed to you from a media source or whether it's about wanting a sense of belonging by being part of some kind of a tribe it is an interesting in, insight, Mira, that um, often we don't stop and think about well, what do I really think about this?
1: Yeah. And I would say, in both, when dealing with self acceptance and um, being part of the pack in your personal life, and then also with politics and the team that you're rooting for, this year especially, what I've seen and what I'm so bewildered by is a complete lack of critical thinking why isn't more being questioned? So just, just like with your team, with your political party, why, isn't, why is not everything accepted? Why, why aren't we questioning when the player on our team is doing something that is so obviously wrong or harmful or that is hurting somebody? And when somebody calls us, successful or ugly or worthy or unworthy why are we so quick to accept that instead of you know using our critical thinking skills and and asking ourselves okay you know person a said that I'm this does that make it true does it is that a fact because they said so and I do feel that if people were using, their critical thinking skills more often they would have not only a stronger and more flourishing internal strength but that they would also be able to apply it to external you know external elements in their life such as yes um, discussing news and politics and things like that. Just there, I just, I, there's nobody is having actual conversations. They're just choosing sides. And I, I'm having trouble <laughs> understanding that. Every day I read the news and I'm like, are people thinking, you know, anymore? Is anybody out there like actually forming a thought and then discussing it with somebody else? It seems, you know, kind of insane
0: yes i agree and it's particularly difficult in this kind of a season for me because i'm not connected to either of the major parties or any other party for that matter and there's some things about the republicans i think are fantastic and there's some things about the republicans that terrify me to the core and the Mm -hmm. same is true of the democrats and so it's hard to have a conversation because i'm not on either of the teams right
1: (laughs) Right, so it's you, sort of
0: always upsetting somebody is sort of how it feels right
1: I was going to say, is anybody interested in your opinion if you haven't chosen a team
0: you know that's that's a great question. I'll tell you one thing the social media algorithms don't know what to do with me, that's for damn sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh you know, I get emails from Trump and I get emails from Biden, and it's interesting to get emails from them pretty much daily um, right. But, uh, you know, one of my favorite expressions is thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we use language in a very lazy way. Let me, I'll give you a simple example that's not very controversial. So I think we say a lot of stupid things and language creates thinking and stupid things, even if they're throwaways, can create stupid thinking. So here's here's a simple example. Mira, you know, what? the launch of your new book, we need to grab the bull by the horns okay well i understand the sentiment of i think what that's supposed to mean Uh but anybody who grabbed a bull by the horns is a fucking moron right that's the worst idea ever right and yet we repeat and uh, it's it's just an example we repeat things like this all the time even though they're stupid and nonsensical and in the case of how I was just describing it to you is sort of exactly what you don't want to do with the launch of your new book.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: But yet we don't think about those words.
1: It's a laziness. Would you agree?
0: Yes. And I I think it's a laziness and I think it's a, and look, I'm guilty of it too. So I'm in no way trying to put myself um, above anybody. But what it means is we don't think I think enough. and I I very much include myself in this in how our language creates our thinking and therefore how our thinking creates our reality. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a simple example. Uh, One of the things that's happened in the last year in my life is one of my best friends was uh, murdered in a home invasion robbery.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: I'm so sorry. I can't even fathom.
0: Four men attacked him at 3am in his house. One of them carrying an AR-15. And so that's one of the things that we've been grappling with for the last almost year now. And as a result of that, my my ability to hear our language is different. I'll give you a simple example. Two days ago, I got an email from a listener saying a bunch of very wonderful laudatory things. And in the first three sentences, this person described in multiple ways how I was, quote unquote, killing it. Oh, man, you're killing it. And uh, kill, oh. you've been killing it with the thing in this episode that really killed it. And he said it three or four times, like in the very beginning of the email. And I understand what he meant. Sure. And. And I used to say that word, too. Right. It's insane that we say that. And it, 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 I, I can't hear it anymore. And look, I'm not, you know, somebody says, I understand. It's just our language, right? That's a simple example. But why would we have all unconsciously adopted that speaking as a way of expressing when somebody's doing a great job at something and we want to congratulate them? Why would we have chosen to use that language and use it in an unexamined way that I think creates a fucked up metaphor?
1: No, yeah. we have a very violent language. And we use, especially in, in pop culture, we, we have a lot of uh, phrases that are rooted in violence and that are, that we're taught to use to indicate positive things. And it's a weird parallel to draw, you know, killed it, nailed it. There's quite a few examples where um, we're using violence in a positive way and, you can certainly see how that has shaped our culture and the way people feel about violence and how they condone it and maybe even encourage it. Yes, it's alarming.
0: It is alarming, and I, am I'm, I'm trying. I'm personally trying to be uh, more responsible about those sorts of things. Of course, and I'm not always going to get it right, of course. But uh, hopefully, we all learn and grow at least a little bit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and the the trying is the important part.
0: Yeah. Now, I did want to talk to you about something else, Mira. Um, Another thing I find fascinating about you is, uh, and there's multiple dimensions of this, and and I don't want to embarrass you, okay, but um, I think it's important. The first one is, there's this sort of interesting thing when you look at writers versus musicians. A lot of musicians are prolific young. And a lot of their best work and some might argue their best work happens young. And, you know, if you take a, if you take an example that we can all understand Adele, right. Mm-hmm. You know, her first few records were named after her birthdays mm-hmm. around when she recorded that stuff. And, you know, here she is recording a record called 21 and it's some of the most powerful old soul, incredible music anybody's ever heard. I mean, she's a, an insane, insanely great um, artist. So there's this thing with musicians that often a lot of their best work happens younger. And there's Mm -hmm. this thing with writers that often their best work happens later in life. Mm -hmm. And I know it's probably um, an oversimplification. And of course, there are outliers. But there seems to be a little bit of... uh, uh, to use the uh, Stephen Colbert line, a little bit of truthiness to that insight. <laughs> and and so here you are, and I, I don't know how young you are, but you're, you're certainly not an older person. And you're this incredibly prolific, both writer and artist at a very young age. And you're having tremendous success with doing that at a, what appears to me to be a pretty young age. Have you ever reflected upon any of that, Mira?
1: <laughs> Thank you for all of the kind things you just said about me. Um, I have the same fear, I guess, that I think a lot of creatives have, which is every time I put something out there, um, a major work, a book, I think, what if this is the best thing that I'm capable of making? And. It's Mm -hmm. a paralyzing fear um, to think that the best work is behind you. When I actually sit with it and ask myself that, do I believe it's true? No, I don't. But I think where the fear comes from, the fear comes from having to start over. And with every project and with every new venture, you have to start over. You're starting over at the beginning. You're a learner again. You don't know how to say the thing you want to say. You don't know what shape it should take, what it should look like. It's a complete unknown. And so it's the fear of the unknown, I think, that visits me over and over again every time I try to make something new. And I am becoming familiar with that fear, which means not that Dealing with it is that much easier or simpler, or, there, or that there's a formula, but it is at least less scary. It doesn't have, um, it doesn't inject that fear and anxiety into me. I know I, I expect it to come. It always comes. It sits with me. It taunts me. It tells me I'm not good enough. And I'm at a place where I feel. Very, um, yeah. I mean, I hear you. You've said this before. Like, this is not new. Let's, let's kind of get on with it. And I know that the only way out is through, you know, is making the work, is doing the learning, Mm -hmm. is pushing out a bunch of garbage before I'll get to any of the good stuff. And I hope, I mean, I hope to be making stuff for my entire life and I hope to be making good stuff. And I, you know, demand that of myself. So I certainly don't think my best work is behind me. I don't know how I'm going to make the best work that I want to make, but I am determined to do so.
0: Did you say the only way out is through?
1: Yeah. I can't, you know, I can't go around. I can't avoid, again, the running away it doesn't work. I have to, I have to do all of the things that I know that I don't want to do or that I think I will fail at, or that I will be bad at. Um, and I have to go through that embarrassment and insecurity and, um, self-loathing. I have to go through it each time. And each time I somehow figure out how to make the work and, um, you know, and then before you know it, the project is done and you're starting all over again.
0: Yes. It's interesting that when you come to this aha, that the only option is to steer into it. Mm -hmm. There is no steering away from it.
1: No, no. And there's no, you know, there's no paths to steer either because the route you took last time isn't, you know, doesn't exist anymore. And you don't know what the route looks like this time. So you kind of just get in the boat and let it move. <laughs> figure out how to steer along the way.
0: Yes. Now, there's an, an another thing I really admire about you, Mira. And that is um, how incredibly unique and different you are. Mm. And you live in a world where there are these I, I, I can't stand them, these horrible creatures that people call social media influencers. <laughs> and yet, and, and you're a young woman. And so there's a a model, a template of how younger women are being successful on social media today. And unless I'm misinterpreting what you're doing, you're the opposite of sort of what I think is that disgusting, iconic, self promotional um, uh, overly uh, looks and 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 sort of lifestyle presentation oriented deeply deeply inauthentic in my opinion you 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 appear to be the complete <laughs> opposite of that in a world that's telling particularly young women young men too but I think probably more young women that that being this kardashian esque character or caricature is, is the path to success. That's my reaction to your work, but I'm curious what that's like for you, what that statement brings up for you.
1: I feel incredibly grateful that you would say that and feel that way about me because there is a tremendous amount of pressure to feed into the influencer lifestyle. And I know that if I followed some of those patterns, it would lead to greater success um, over a shorter period of time. And I have grappled with, you know, what, what, what is me? What is not me? What should I be doing? And it is super difficult at times. But I have always tried to be authentic and honest um, with myself first, and to let that carry out on my social media platforms and the work I put out into the world. And if that means it is less successful, I feel at peace with that because I want everything I put out to be a true reflection of me. Again, I don't want to pander to external sources. I want to live um, honestly and deliberately. And so that I always come back to that when I'm trying to make a decision about what to do, you know, because there are clear clear patterns. You know, if women post photos of themselves over and over again, um, it leads to greater success. But I keep asking myself, is that why I want to be, um noticed or do I want my work to be why I'm noticed and it always comes back to the work I want to be known for the work I want the work to help people I want people to change the way they live I want that for them and some of the captions I write for my posts you know people may feel they're too dark or they're too you know negative or cynical sometimes but I truly believe that every emotion is valid and because something is because something is easier, doesn't mean it's more, you know beautiful or more worthy. And I want people to understand that. And so a lot of the stuff I put out um, doesn't generate the enthusiasm that like, you know, say a publisher would prefer um, or a client. And I, I do fight with that often. And I think about, you know, well, if I did it this way, it would probably sell better, but in the end it might sell better. And what, what will I have? I'll have lost a part of myself and there is no price tag on that. So those are the kind, you know, those are the kinds of thought processes I go through when I'm trying to decide what to put out into the world and how to shape it and whether what I'm doing is genuine and if I'm doing it for the right reasons or not. And that is kind of what keeps me in check. It kind of, it always comes back to, would I feel proud of this? Just me. That's the only person. And I use that as my gauge for what to do.
0: Well, I applaud you for it, Miro. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it is very clear, having looked at your work, having consumed your work, having heard you on other podcasts, that you are tethered to some true north that you invented, you, that you're up to something. And that um, asking ourselves why, like, what, 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 why are we doing this? is a very powerful question, right? Because yes. if you're doing something to get likes or downloads or book sales or, or whatever, then, you know, everybody wants to see me uh, prancing around on my Instagram in a thong as well, but I resist it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it and so it is, it is, I think it's always powerful to see somebody who's tethered to a point of view that they care deeply about and that they're trying to execute against. It's always very powerful. And I think in your case, if I could just tip my hat to you, I think it's a little bit extra powerful given um, who you are, given your age, given that you're a gal in this world. And so many young women have made a choice that I'm very sad about. Um, you made a very different choice. And I want you to know that's a big part or at least part of uh, what I find inspiring about you and your work.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that.
0: Now, Mira, I could talk to you for probably 10 days straight. Um, <laughs> Me too. But I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to touch on?
1: No, I've, I mean, I found this to be a very enjoyable conversation and I'm grateful to have had this time with you. And I hope that we'll be able to have more conversations in the future.
0: I sure hope so. You're welcome back anytime. I'm always curious to find out what you're working on, what you're thinking, new books that you're putting out. So you're always welcome back and uh, keep doing your legendary work. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Bye. Well, there she is, Mira Lee Patel. Isn't she great? I, uh, I sure hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And uh, make sure you are subscribed on whatever platform you're using right now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast to make sure you get our next episode. Now, as you know, America is getting busy, getting back to work. And to win in the new reality, you need every advantage. And that's where my friends at NetSuite by Oracle come in. You see, NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system including capabilities for all of your finance hr inventory distribution and multi-channel commerce with netsuite you can manage every penny with precision whether you're doing a million dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars netsuite gives you the visibility and control that you need visit netsuite.com today slash different that's netsuite.com slash different and get your free guide the seven actions businesses need to take now and schedule your free product tour that's netsuite.com slash different and in a crisis the most legendary organizations turn to data so that they can convert data into doing and that's where splunk comes in splunk is the leader in data to everything bringing data to every action every question every decision visit splunk.com slash d2e and learn how to turn data into doing and my friends at otranet i have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Learn how to conquer your category with your website at atre.net. And my friends at Spiro.ai are the leaders in proactive relationship management. If you want to close more business, visit spiro.ai today. All right, we would like to thank Mira Lee Patel. Isn't she great? You can find her on the internet at com. New book is out. It's called Create Your Own Calm. Also, want to thank Alyssa Fortunato for helping to, to make this episode happen. Uh, my friends at One Life are a legendary nonprofit. And if you ever wanted to make a difference to um, uh, people, particularly folks in the inner city who are looking to live, uh, dream, live, plan, however that goes, plan, live, and dream, dream, live, and plan. <laughs> their best life. Check out the number one lifefullylived.org for a nonprofit that I love. And my friends at bottleneck.online want to help you scale you with the power of a distant assistant. Check out bottleneck.online. All right. Um, this podcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we must warn you that clearly this podcast gets created in a studio that does contain nuts. We're produced and edited by living podcast legend Jason DeFilippo. You can check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. If you love technology, you're going to love J- Jason and Brian. Uh, technical awesomeness and Lockhead.com by Jamie J. and Sarah Knox. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember to love yourself. Take two podcasts and email us in the morning. You can always send an email to lockhead.com. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Carson Sweet, CEO of Cloud Passage. Sorry, Carson, we just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Please stay safe, take good care of each other, stay legendary. And until we hang out again, follow your different.